Ali Amagasu, and I'm welcoming you to Cloud Unfiltered. Today's guest is coming to us all the way from the UK. His name is Roger Dickinson, and he is a pre-sales TSA for data center and cloud. Welcome, Roger. Hi, hi Ali, Val, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you may know Roger as the artist behind Captain Cloud, and we will talk to him about that later, among other things. But in the meanwhile, I'd like to ask him the question we always ask. How did you get into tech, Roger? Uh, how did I get into tech? So it, yeah. it was a long time ago, um, and I had just left college, and I had two job offers. And one was for a trainee bank manager with Barclays Bank, and the other one was a trainee data comms engineer with BP. And I thought to myself, if I was at a party and I was chatting to a girl, which <laughs> this is true, which job title sounded cooler? And uh, that's why I chose a trainee data, com, uh, data comms engineer, and I ended up in the world of tech. Little did I know that neither are cool um, when it comes <laughs> to uh, talking to, to women. But actually, it was literally was that I, I, I wasn't sure where, which direction I was going to go in. I ended up in, in tech working for BP. But it, but it worked though, right? Because I mean, you're married now, and yeah, yeah I've been, been married for 24 <laughs> did, years. Did you now, put yeah. the line on Sarah and you say, "Hey, Sarah, I'm like, <laughs> or were you already married when you went into that?" <laughs> no, 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 I was very single back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. it clearly worked out. Yeah. So, so Roger, uh, first question we got to ask you is one of the mascots you've created for a lot of these Cisco presentations that we've seen is this fat, middle-aged, balding old man who is called Captain Cloud and a number of other, other characters that are back there on your wall. So why is it that um, the mascot for Cloud for Cisco is this uh, figure who doesn't necessarily – uh, elucidate the uh, coolness factor, maybe. I don't know. Well, I, I disagree. Oh, he is, oh okay. he's cool. I disagree. <laughs> but he's actually, he's actually a bit of an anti-hero. So I kind of went for, well, actually, it, the reality of it, he's actually based on someone who was in our team at the time. So he's actually, uh, the way he looks is actually based on, on a real person. Don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> don't say name was. Um, but... <laughs> I was going for something who, someone who was quintessentially British and a bit of an, uh, an anti-hero. So not your super rippling muscles superhero. So I thought a, a portly middle-aged balding man uh, could represent a cloud strategy in, in some way. But in, in effect, he actually represents a lot of the people who are actually in IT um, at this time anyway. So that's how, that's how I initially came up with uh, uh, Captain Cloud. And uh, then his team have started to grow. So the Captain Cloud represents the cloud side of things and multi-cloud. And then his twin brother was introduced last year. He's called Carl. And Carl represents the, the traditional IT guy who is uh, going on that journey from traditional IT and infrastructure to programmability and, and APIs and those kind of things. Then we did. Then I did decide, well, I do need someone who is really really cool so I, <laughs> I created this character called api girl um and she's all about coding and a strong female character in the tech industry and she's actually starting to get more attention than the other two now so she's actually a really great character which i'm starting to develop and then the last character is uh ted who's the uh 
Teddy the disappointing unicorn. And he's actually a, <laughs> he's actually a Shetland pony with a party hat on for his um for his horn. And what he represents is the uh the the risk if you get things wrong, what you end up with. <laughs> the disappointing unicorn i love uh, i could see api girl for the guests who are who watch this over video yeah. i can see her over your left shoulder there yeah um, this, this is this is a shrine to me <laughs> <laughs> this is i'm in my office which is which is doubles an office and a studio where i do a lot of my drawing and creativities stuff as well so. well your shrine to you just looks absolutely <laughs> Fabulous. My my one of my favorites is the Teddy the Disappointing Unicorn and, and yeah. the statement that I've seen on it where it says, Not quite the cloud I had hoped for. Not quite the unicorn I'd hoped for. I'd hoped for so. <laughs> Here's what you need to know, listeners. In real life, the disappointing unicorn slash Shetland pony just got loose prior to our production. <laughs> Literally ten minutes ago he was he was loose in the garden. So we've been having some work done. And I opened a the dog was barking, and then he was he was eating, which he spends most of his life doing, uh, in the corner of the garden. So I had to send out someone so, to rescue him. So I got to know how are most of these? How are you using these characters and these drawings? And I, you know, I, I for one, I'm a big fan of your work, and I know there's a number of other people in Cisco are too. But I mean, what what do you? What's the primary? Uh, how do you use these, and and how has it been received? And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So initially, they initially came about because that we. One of the cloud team in the UK, they were running a competition for um, engaging the field in, in a new way. And uh, so I created Captain Cloud and we did this little movie with some of the guys in our team. And it was part animated, part real life. And we won that competition. And there was a bit of momentum started to get behind some of the characters after that. And what I discovered was people did, you know, did engage with these characters. So I started using them in when I was doing some training for the field, which is part of my job internally. And, uh, you know, certainly they've got their own Twitter feeds now. So they, they kind of began to get a life of their, their own. And, and the DevNet side of the organization uh, within Cisco, they're the guys who've really embraced these. They're not an official Cisco brand by any stretch of the imagination, but we've had stickers printed up and they just go like hotcakes. So, there's uh, a lot of um, our customers, a lot of internal people at Cisco. They just love these characters. And I think it goes back to the original point. It's because then they're anti-character. They're totally different to the t normal logos and uh, a lot of the, the branding that we, we get out there. So they resonate with a lot of people. I think like the Docker stuff, if you look at Docker, they've got great branding around uh, the whale and the cartoons in that. And, and that, that shows just that a on a corporate level, how, how it can work. So, so listen to that Cisco. Yeah, no, I, I always thought that Docker was this t-shirt company that also had yeah. a great, you know, container technology as well. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I think the other thing I like about what you're doing with this is I've, I've often thought that, you know, maybe the role of the, of the technical solutions architect or the, the systems engineer who goes and throws up these PowerPoints is, you know, it's it not, I wouldn't say antiquated, but it, it needs to be refreshed somehow. And, and, and somebody who, you know, shows up with a story and, and makes it more engaging. I think there's a lot of value to that. So Absolutely. I mean, yeah. but when, when Cisco cut often customers will expect Cisco to throw 50 PowerPoint slides at you when we go into a, to a meeting and whether it's using, captain cloud or we're just using whiteboards it's important to engage with customers in different ways and the ways that's going to be the most effective for them 
rather than <laughs> how we think or what they need to hear and how they need to hear it. That's yeah. right. We can drop fifty. We can drop fifty slides on you without even batting an eyelash. Yeah, that's a, that's a small presentation. <laughs> that's right. But we will not break a sweat creating fifty slides to explain a very very simple concept. So you talked a little bit about customers and, and how you're dealing with them. Um, it sounds like doing some field training and, and I do know you interact with customers though. And so, you know, we talked a little bit before the show. I, I think you have an interesting angle in that you are dealing with customers, you know, directly mm -hmm. in the field and you're kind of seeing what their challenges are and, you know, what they're asking for, what they're, you know, what they really want is, does it align with what we're trying to give them, wh where they are in the cloud cycle. Can you give us a little insight into kind of, what you're seeing there, what trajectories these, these customers are on in general? Yeah, so I so I, I cover enterprise customers generally within in the UK. So that could be from banking to uh, retailers, for example. And uh, you mentioned that word trajectories. That, that's important because every single customer is on a different trajectory. And even within the same customer, there's different departments on different trajectories. So. If you go back a number of years, you say, this is how we build data centers. This is how we build campus networks. That doesn't work anymore. There's so many different ways to consume these new technologies and how to, how to build stacks and solutions that there isn't a one size fits all. And that's, that's, that's a bit of a challenge for, for companies like Cisco and a, a traditional big IT companies because uh, we have to change and we have to change the solutions we bring to market to solve the problems our customers have now. And uh, what I see is when I go into these customers, that they're they're all they're all very they're all very different, and um, it's really understanding what problem you're trying to solve. So, for example, I've got one retailer who is very advanced when it comes to their consumption of cloud, and they've got a very mature DevOps practice in AWS. Um, uh, it's all cloud native. They've even got down to the point now where they're looking at how to make their developers far more efficient during their, their through their development pipelines then there's another retailer very similar who are just starting that journey they're just starting moving to um, agile development and, and and they're actually building a private cloud and consuming some public cloud so everything's different so every customer i go in to see it's really interesting to see where they are and uh, what trajectory that they are are on so so that's but the, one of the other problems it poses for us is that, you know, Cisco historically, we're a tin manufacturer. We we ship boxes and uh, that's where our expertise comes along. But, you know, we're in this new world as we transition more to a software company, internally at Cisco, we need to upskill. We need to change our skills. So I've, I've spent 20 years doing routing and switching, but now I'm looking at things like Kubernetes and service mesh with... Istio and, and, and Docker. So internally, we, we're having to transform ourselves and, and the customers themselves are on that journey as well. That, that makes sense. sense. Yeah. yeah, and Val, I, I, you can interject if, if you want, but I, oh, my sound is sad right now. Your sound's okay to me. Oh, it does? Yeah. Oh, it's echoing on my end. Okay, well, I'm gonna ask anyway then. Um, it, do you feel like customers are taking us credibly? If we are, um, you know, if we've been a box, a tin vendor or a box seller, as you said all this time, and we're coming in and uh, we truly do. I mean, we've put a big stake in the ground for cloud. We have plans, budget, we're, we're committed in a big way to this. 
are they on board for this? Are they, do they feel like they can trust us with uh, their cloud plans and uh, structure? Yeah, no, I, I think so. I think with our traditional stakeholders, so tr traditional infrastructure and operations teams who are now looking to deliver multi-cloud and deliver cloud services, they're looking for their traditional partners like us to help them to, to on, on that journey. I think it's a harder conversation if you're going and you're speaking to development teams and DevOps teams, because culturally they're very different to a Cisco. And, and for those teams, you have to really prove your relevance and prove your value to those guys. You still have to do it with the tra traditional ones, but they're more open to listening to you. And, and Cisco have a history of moving into adjacent markets and consuming other technologies. If you look at storage and voice, uh, for example, so they're kind of used to seeing us transitioning and moving into adjacent areas. Whereas, you know, talking to the dev teams and, and DevOps, they're not. So you have to, you have to um, change your, um, the way you talk and what you talk about to these different stakeholders because they care about different things. If you're talking to a dev team, a DevOps teams, quite rightly, they have zero interest in infrastructure and what color the box is. They just want a service and they want to consume a service. But when you talk to the traditional IT, IT teams, they have to deliver that service. So they do care um, what color the box is and, and what um, capabilities it has, but, but they ultimately have to deliver a service to their customers who are the dev and the DevOps teams and the lines of business. So it's different, it's different conversations. And when we started out on that road, you know, it was it was quite tough, and you get a bloody no sometimes going in, and it's 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 that learning curve. But now, I think if you look back over the last two three years, not only are from a skills perspective within Cisco, are are we very credible with the the, the way we've changed, and also the the people we've brought in, but also we've got a very credible and relevant product set for those teams, and we had real value. Hey, Roger, um, you mentioned the two retailers. The, uh, well, I'm on, I'm on echoing now. You are echoing uh, like crazy. Not sure yeah, and you're going. not anymore. What happened? Oh, you're good. You're good. Oh, now I'm good. Okay. So, Roger, you mentioned the, the two retailers. One one was more advanced than the other. One one was uh, hadn't, you know, was just starting on the road. What What's like the common pain point to those um, people that are, are – not as advanced on I, I don't know this road to cloud or, or getting more optimized with their processes and stuff I mean what do you what do you say to them and how do you how are you helping them I, I guess that's the yeah so commonality the, anyway. pretty much sorry Eva. that's it I was just mumbling no. <laughs> <laughs> so um a lot of, I'd say 90% of large enterprise customers I've already got a cloud presence of some um, scale. And um, they'll be doing it in, in their silos. And uh, But the challenges they have now is, as you start to scale that out, as you start building production services, say, in, in AWS, you've got, so, you've got some challenges. So one of them is, is locking. And locking can be a bad thing, and locking can be a, a good thing. But a lot, a lot of the... Um, uh, regulatory and the from a compliance side of things, when you're building your applications now, they're told you have to design for exit. So you have to have a way of actually extracting your applications out of that cloud provider, even if they're going to be um, 
quite happily standing there for quite a long time. So then you you have the challenge. Okay, how do I how do I do that? Especially if I'm using some bespoke services that a particular cloud provider offers. So if you look, say for example, I was using Lambda and I'm building applications into Lambda, then you may find yourself locked in from a technology perspective. But you have to make a business decision: is that a good thing or a bad thing? And I've got some customers because of the benefit a particular service a cloud provider offers. They're happily pay a premium and they're happily take that locking risk. But there are others who um, actually say, well, I can't afford to do that. So I need a way to abstract my applications away from the underlying um, cloud provider or the underlying data center if they're sitting on premise. So these are the kind of conversations we're having is how can you build solutions that scale across multi-cloud, allow you to abstract those applications, but at the same time, you don't lose any of the bespoke capabilities and value that some of these individual cloud providers offer. So yeah. these are the kind of conversations we're having. And if you look at the cloud providers, you look at the big three, IaaS is like table stakes. And, but they're different to differentiate services. Now. So obviously AWS is the 800 pound gorilla who's good at everything, does everything quite well. Microsoft Azure is really positioning themselves as the enterprise cloud. And they're saying, you, you know, you've been with us for 30 years using our Microsoft's uh, application. So let's look at running on our cloud services. And then Google are very much becoming the developer cloud and particularly focusing around ML and, and AI. So customers are going, okay, how can I consume the best services from these different cloud providers? And, and these are the kind of conversations that I'm having with the customers. Some customers don't realize, depending on where they are on this journey, I don't like that word, but depending where they are, um, they may not realize some of the problems they're going to hit, and others have hit these problems already, and we're talking to them about, you know, how we can help them alleviate those problems. And what about, what about the DevOps side? Do you, do you get involved with those discussions as people are trying to find ways to improve processes with DevOps at all, or? I think, I think with the DevOps teams, They've, they've probably got a good idea of, and they've already built their pipelines. And if we're coming in and we're saying, oh, you want to look at a cloud management platform or you want to look at analytics tools, then they're going to say, well, A, you can't break anything we're doing now, can't slow us down at all for anything we're doing now, and you can't inhibit us in any way if we decide to drop in some new tools, you know, for example. So um, we have those conversations. As I said earlier, they're harder conversations to have, and you have to prove your... Uh, value to those guys and, and at the same time you need to understand how they're building their pipelines and uh, where you can add value and where you can't because sometimes you can't and we can't do cisco can't do everything but we add value in different layers of of that new stack that customers are building yeah when you were talking about the the three you know kind of different major public cloud providers um, do you find that customers are actually using all three or is it very, much more typical that they're kind of committed to one? So what they tend to do is look at a initial provider. So they may say, we're going to go AWS for an AWS could probably fulfill 80% of their requirements for most of their workloads. If they're doing lifting shift or, or, or migrating workloads out there or cloud native, and then they will look at some of the other clouds for specific service. So maybe using Office 365, and then they may be using AI and ML from Google. But every time we uh, now nowadays, and this wasn't a few years ago, but 
a, a mature cloud strategy today will be a multi-cloud strategy. And it will say you need to have the ability to consume services from these different cloud providers, as well as having on-premise. And we, we can talk about on-premise in a minute and why that's important. Um, but a, a mature cloud strategy will say we need to be able to consume from those if we want to. Right. But they would typically have, have one primary to start with. Okay. And so when you were speaking about lock-in earlier, and I'm advocating for any marketing people listening to this, as well as um, anyone who's not as far along in the in the cloud process, are you saying there's lock-in? Like, I think of a public cloud provider as being free of lock-in because I'm allowed to just turn it on and off at will, right? I'm, I'm not really locked in there. Are you saying the way I develop my application for that cloud makes me kind of locked in because I can't really use it in other places? Yeah, so you can fall foul of the same way your applications, many traditional applications today, are tied into infrastructure within your own data centers. You can actually build your applications and tie them into a cloud provider because you're using bespoke services or specific services that only that cloud provider uses. And so you can you can get locked in. So this is why um, I was at a Gartner conference back in um, December and they were talking about this concept of design for exit. So, and that, and that could come through technical requirements. A cloud provider could shut off a service that you're using, for example. It could be from a contractual and pricing perspective that you need you need to move. So a lot from the legalities around you know consuming cloud services now, you'll see these clauses coming in for how how much time you've got to exit out of a particular uh, cloud provider. So these kind of um, uh, governance and compliance challenges that customers have are, are being written into contracts now as well. So is there anything they can do? I mean, say they... You have developed, you know, an application using one specific service, and you use a tool that that the other ones don't have. Are, are you just um, say you want to design for exit? Do you just have to not use that tool? It, it can't integrate with that tool. How how would one design around that? Well, a lot of the time, you could probably and Val probably um, could could talk to this, but you can design the abstraction in the application layer itself. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to make it, you know, even if you just look at Docker containers, if you look at containers, it, they naturally are abstracted away from the underlying infrastructure. Now, the way you design the application, you could end up tying yourself in. Um, so you, you can design around it, but you have to make a decision um, and get the balance right between the, the, the value that a cloud provider is offering you versus abstracting away from it and com almost commoditizing those clouds. And so I've got customers who are, play, are paying 2x premiums for a particular cloud provider because of the services they have and their business is fully locked into that cloud provider and they're happy that's that works for them as a business and that's great because if it works for you as a business and that's that's fine it's not for me to say it's the wrong way to do it but others will will do it a different way and this comes back to what i said before there's so many different ways you can build a business build a service these days there's no one answer for everybody so do you think that uh, like hybrid cloud, for example, is, is that more of just you'll have stuff on prem and then you'll choose a main cloud provider and then you may be consuming SaaS apps. But because I, I hear people talk about multi-cloud as well, and I, I, I just don't see the whole, yeah, we have Amazon and Microsoft. I mean, usually you'll see these big announcements like Spotify moves from AWS to Google, right? And it, it almost seems like it's all or nothing, but I, I don't know, maybe I'm just 
different parts of the market are, is is how I'm seeing it. But I mean, what what are you seeing? So I'm, I'm the, the multi cloud. As I said before, every customer I talk to, it's not me going in and talk, telling them about multi cloud. They're asking me about multi cloud. <laughs> so um, that's definitely an industry shift which has happened over the last six to six to twelve months. And I have some customers, and there's one bank um, who is is doing yeah he's full multi-cloud for the three they're using services from the three providers we spoke about as well as a a big investment on the on-premise side of things so they see their on-premise um capabilities as important as um their their uh, public cloud providers and i think when you look at the on-premise piece you know why why would you invest in an on-premise location so if you if you look at the garden stats um you know, Gartner predict around 70% of workloads currently sitting in data centers will move into public cloud, but 30% will remain. And that's still quite a big chunk of applications which are going to re- remain on premise. And and why would they remain on premise? But the reason is, you know, there's um, regulatory reasons, there's technical reasons, we just can't uh, shift them. Um, there's uh, compliance reasons. So there are a number of reasons they remain on premise. But the way you have to think about your on premise, whether it's a data center or you're in a colo, you have to think of that that it complements the public cloud. You're not competing. There's no way an on premise facility is going to compete with AWS and right. spend a billion dollars uh, innovating. But you're providing a set of services on premise that fit specific use cases that your business has that can't be provided by. Um, one of the public clouds for for those reasons that we listed. Right. Okay. So, so when you you mentioned the on premise one, that would be something that would be used for a particular set of applications. And then the way I'm want maybe I'm I'm just wondering if you see it this way as well. Is I see it as you consume public cloud services, you may have a project that is oh this is perfect for Google because it has the AI bit in here and we want to use BigQuery or something like that on it. And then you might use Amazon for another different project. But if I had a project, I wouldn't necessarily want to be switching between clouds or I don't know, maybe I would, but I, I just, th- this is what is so nebulous for me about multi-cloud is, is how I, I just curious to see how you're seeing the customers actually divide up those, those workloads those mm. who want to be hybrid cloud right yeah well one of the way one of the ways they're doing it which is and i've seen this in a number of my customers is a lot of them are closing down their own data center facilities moving into colo so something like equinix mm-hmm. which is the common edge for all of those cloud providers so yeah, they, get so they can go into it really fast so they can get into each of them and it's a very simple way they build a uh, their own facility they've effectively got an exchange where they can go out to each of these different cloud providers and they have that those options to consume those different services in a, in a more less complex, a simple way of architecting those applications and and the infrastructures and the stacks that they're they're building. Right. So I definitely see it as an aspiration. Now, is it is everybody doing it today? No. Right. But that's the aspiration that most of the enterprises have is to is to have those options. And I think one of the things is if you look the speed at which there's new technologies and the way everybody's changing direction. One of the challenges is you don't want to lock yourself in, if whether it's a cloud provider or a vendor or a particular technology. 
so it's about keeping your your options open as far as much as you can practically um to to do that so so again this is this is where we see customers they start building these um their new stacks um and they've got a mix of off-the-shelf um so, uh, solutions and they've got open source and they're mixing and building their solutions in that way and i think there was a um i think it, it was another podcast I, I was listening to but they were talking about how hardware and software stacks should be viewed as like um an application but over time you'll add features and you'll deprecate features and so your hardware software stack that you're building today should be viewed the same that i can spin out an infrastructure layer or an analytic solution and spin in a new one. And the only way you can do that is between each of those layers, it's open and you're just consuming APIs. So, so this is this is how I'm seeing customers building those stacks that are far more open. And um, each vendor, whether it's Cisco or someone else, has to demonstrate their value in each of those different layers. So whether it's security, analytics, optimization, or multi-cloud management, mm. You, those stats could be built up a multi-vendor, including open source as well. So it's, really, it's actually really exciting. And there's a, so much innovation going on with a lot of our customers yeah. building those, those stacks. Um, last one I have right now. Do you, do you see any big uh, differences? And I, I don't imagine that there are, but I'm just curious, between the way uh, people in, in the UK and, and maybe in, in Europe are, are using public clouds compared to those of, uh, say, in the US or other parts of the world? Uh, I will just, so I'm focused on the UK, but I did, for example, last week, I did a, an EBC with a Norwegian partner who came into, into uh, Bedford Lakes. And uh, as, a, as a partner, they were asking us, where should they be? moving to where should they be diversifying the op services that they start providing to their their customers um so i think from from a european um perspective that it is really starting to move up those stacks and and whether your partner cisco se or a customer moving up those stacks and looking at okay how do i deliver a container service what is kubernetes how do i fit that into my portfolio um, because as as we know that the dev and DevOps guys, they're not really interested in coming down the stack. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really down traditional infrastructure operations to start moving up the stack. And that there's a real and I'm not sure if this is true in the US, you tell me, but in uh the U the UK government released a report a few months ago saying that their digitization strategy was being hampered because they didn't have enough skills on these on these new within the new stack you know things like cloud native tooling they, they don't even have people with those skills and it, it was hampering them moving forward with their digitized um, digitization project and i think i think that i see that in customers as well within the uk and europe is that there's this, there's a big skills gap and i keep i know i've mentioned it a number of times on this in this call it's, it's really going to be down to traditional infrastructure operations storage guys networking guys compute guys sysadmins to start moving up and consuming those those skills and build and then you can build these services on top of it. So I don't know. Is, is the US the same? Ah, uh, we keep hearing about different skills gaps and, as well. I don't hear too much about the privacy. Um, I I hear a lot more about data sovereignty over there uh, on on that in that side of the world than I do here. 
yeah i think there's some there's we maybe have a few more restrictions when it comes to you know um as you said sovereignty and, and compliance and, and there are areas obviously within europe where there is no um presence of some of the large cloud providers oh so yeah yeah partner or a smaller provider or, or or look at other ways of delivering those services and that's where colo could come in as well because hmm. you could drop in in a, in, a, in a location where there's not a large cloud presence you could drop in an azure stack it could be something like cisco container platform into some of these locations i've got one customer who's a uk-based customer but they need to deliver services in china hmm. which is pretty problematic and uh CCP is is one of those solutions where it's just a turnkey appliance provides IaaS and uh, container solutions, and they can just drop it in, and and they and it fits with their Google strategy as well. So, um, yeah, so that's a good fit. So CCP, uh, just I'll clarify, Cisco Container Platform for the rest of the world that hasn't absorbed that acronym yet, but that's on prem, right? That's an on prem solution that's complementing. It sounds like their their public cloud usage is that correct yeah absolutely so so um we announced uh, cisco container platform officially uh was it last or week before last at cisco live and um it's it's a really cool solution because as we said you know as i was talking about these skills challenges when i met with gartner last year they said there's just a handful of companies worldwide who could actually build these these full stacks and support a full um ias PaaS, you know container service mm -hmm. Stack. So that's why companies like Cisco are building solutions where we can make it easy for you to consume these these kind of um, uh, technologies. So Cisco Container Platform is one of those. So fundamentally, we provide you with well today we provide you with the the hardware, which is just the, the a Hyperflex, which is a hyperconverged infrastructure solution. And on top of that, we've built a control plane for delivering um, Kubernetes. So we deliver IaaS and container services within a effectively within a turnkey appliance. And then we're using tools like uh, Cloud Center. We can start federating over to, to other clouds. We've built this with, with Google. So particularly we can federate across to, to Google. We, we've got things like part of that stack is um, Istio for a service mesh. And we've got Apigee as well. So you could expose APIs for applications which don't have them today, traditional ones sitting on premise. So it's, it's a really, um, called cloud native um, platform, and it allows, um, and that's something traditional IT can deliver to their customer. In this case, could be their their dev teams, so they can now start uh, building services on premise or multi cloud across to the different cloud providers, and it makes well, it easy easy for them to deliver. We well, thank you for the the little the little promo. That was unexpected, but I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time explaining Cisco Cloud Platform at uh, the show, the recent Cisco Live, and I don't know that I did as good a job as you just did. But uh, I do know that being next to the Google folks um, was definitely like being the plain girl in the bar next to someone next to the hot chick. Uh, <laughs> because they were, um, people really wanted to come over and see what was going on with Google Cloud. And, uh, and I guess probably Apigee and Istio and all that. But man, that, that booth was hopping. And, mm. um, and it made me wonder, I mean, how do you feel about the Google partnership? Is that exciting to, to, to someone who works at Cisco in your work kind yeah, of role? Absolutely. So I was, I was in Google a few weeks ago because um, we had a joint customer. And uh, apart from the fact they've got really cool offices, um, <laughs> it, it, is, it is a really interesting environment. And they're investing heavily into their cloud practice. And they, they're going heavily after the enterprise market because they're playing catch up. 
um, to Azure and AWS, um, which is which is which is well known. But um, I, I think that I, I I quite envy. I think that's a good position to be in because they can position themselves differently and they can differentiate from those guys and go after a certain market. But what's interesting, although they are, don't, yes, they are really cool, as you described so eloquently. Um, but I think they, in a, in a way, and I might get uh, blasted for this, but I think in a way we're cool as well because we've got 30 years of enterprise knowledge and how our customers operate and, and how. So that partnership is really good. So they've got some really cool tech. We've got some really cool tech and um, they, they can leverage us from our enterprise experience and we can we can we can uh, leverage them from some of the cool cloud native stuff that they're doing and, and so what's, what's been born out of that is cisco container platform which is one of the first solutions that we've we're, we're working to, together on so yeah they are really cool but i think we're pretty cool as well just you know. yes i agree with you i think we're the cool kids at the network party I, but you know at the cloud native party we're still sneaking in the back door with our hot friend well i think <laughs> I think we're cool, as in going back to the start of our conversation, the way Captain Cloud is cool. <laughs> I, I think we're cool as long as we have Roger Dickinson with us. Then we're good. <laughs> oh, that's a good point, Val. Uh, well, hey, you guys, we're, we're coming up here on the end. Um, I don't want to leave any stones unturned. Val, is there any question you wanted to ask that I didn't give you a chance to squeeze in there? Uh no, I have a lot, but I'd just save them for the lack of time. So. You do? Oh, are you sure you want to squeeze one more in? You two guys and, and the audience, I'll let you know, these guys were the highest ranked session at Cisco's <laughs> GSX, which is our global sales conference. The highest. So here you are getting it for free. You can't even sneak in the back door at GSX. And these guys uh, are dealing out their entertainment for free here. And that's because we're cool. <laughs> it's because you have cartoons in your presentation and no one else does which really is a good solid strategy for anyone listening cartoons in the presentation draws you in and gets you high rankings so there we go <laughs> i'm available for hire if anyone needs any hey where can people go if they want to see other than randomly running across captain cloud cartoons on, on twitter or elsewhere on the internet where can they find them do you have so you a, a to... compilation yeah, absolutely. So to go to my website, uh, which is DC Gubbins, so that's uh, DCGUBBINS.com. That's my website, and you'll see lots of uh, educational yet fun cartoons. <laughs> it's all tech kind of related cartoons. <laughs> You're awesome, Roger. What about your um, Twitter handle? Are you uh, Twitter uh, DC Gubbins is oh. my Twitter handle as well. Okay. DC Gubbins, got it. We're going to write it down. Um, well, thank you for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Um, I hope the pony has been captured or hasn't gotten too far away uh, during our chat. I really am going to feel bad about that if you're having to put up missing pony posters in the wake of this discussion. But uh, we'll let our we'll let our listeners know after the next episode. But thanks, you guys. Have a great afternoon. Have a great evening where you are, Richard. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Cheers. Thank you. All right. Cheers, man.